Mentor My Mix is made possible by Pyramind Music and Audio Production Institute. Evolve your sound with expert trainers and up-to-date courses designed to fit the needs of emerging artists and producers. Go to Pyramind.com for details about the San Francisco campus and online programs. Hey, what's up, everybody? I am super excited today to have Martin Luther McCoy as my guest, singer, songwriter, artist, and producer, and also a fellow native San Franciscan. You were born uh, right here in San Francisco, weren't you, Martin Luther? Indeed, Mount Zion Hospital. No kidding? Born and raised in the city. No way. You know, I was born in Mount Zion Hospital, too. Really? Yeah, I was. Um, that's kind of cool. You uh, know? I think that's kind of really kinda cool. cool. Yeah, I had no idea. All right, so look. You're here kind of because you just came out with a really cool new track, and we're going to get to look at that in uh, a little depth here today, and I'm excited to do that with you. Uh, you've got your pre-production version here, and then we're going to get to also listen to uh, the full production with uh, string quartet arrangement with mm. Magic Magic Orchestra, Mina Choi contribution. Yeah. Chamber music, as Kev Choice told me, it, it uh -huh. qualified, so it's time to start looking for some grant applications. All right. Chamber music. All right. This All is right. the evolution of, of Martian Luther. Yes. The, the evolution of Martian Luther. And, and the evolution of Martian Luther has been very real and ongoing for a handful of years now. I mean, you, I've been tracking your label, Rebel Soul, and uh, the Rebel Soul sound that mm. you've been putting out for a good bit of time. Mm. Um, so let's just get a little background on this first before okay. we dive in. Um, you were uh, born the son of a pastor uh, here in uh, San Francisco and, and kind of grew up in a gospel-based family, didn't you? You know, that's... that's it's uh, it's two sides to the coin. Okay. My father got into the church, strangely enough, because my mother was, you know, devout Christian faith, Methodist. And so when they come out here in 59 from Texas, she finds a church pretty much immediately. And my father's looking for work. Hmm. And so it took some years for him to come into the fold of going to church. But he uh, found it to be a very welcoming home. And he became one of the stalwarts of the church, one of the uh, pillars to a degree. And eventually, in my teenage years, he decided that he wanted to go to the theologian seminary and become a minister. Oh, I didn't realize. So it, it took some time then. Mm. Uh, but there was music in the family and in the house, right? Always. See, Always. my grandmother is the source code. Mm. Mm -hmm. Grandmother Ruby, may she rest in paradise. She was the voice of Galveston, Texas, for a period of time. Whenever there was a wedding or there was a funeral or a celebration or, you know, a sad moment, she would be asked to perform or it would just be more of an obligation to the community because she had that voice. Mm -hmm. And when she couldn't go, she would send my father as he came to tell me later on in life when I was having issues of being shy and not being, you know, interested in in uh, sharing the gift, should I say. Mm -hmm. Uh, he was just reminding me that, you know, you have something that's special. Everybody doesn't have it. So if someone were to ask you to use it to perform, you know, to to elevate a moment or help out in a certain situation, consider that. And that helped me get around some corners because I just, you know, I was uh, exploratory as a youth, but I was also very shy with the singing voice. And it was changing. I went from, you know, candy girl to you will never find, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And who wants to be singing with a deep baritone when everybody's going crazy for new edition? Mm, well, yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So and so I'm thinking. So you're thinking. And I'm like, well, maybe I'll just be a writer. Uh-huh. And okay. so I started, because I started writing when I was very young as well. It started in the church, uh, repurposing, like, as opposed to swing low, sweet chariot. I hear it 
I've heard it a thousand times. I learned it the first time I heard it. Yeah. So I'm I'm read swing low, oh, oh, sweet chariot, jazzy. Jasmine but up. I don't know jazz. Mm-hmm. But you just felt it. But I just felt it. Mm-hmm. And I go with, you know, instinct. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, all these are the ingredients that start to uh, help shape a sound and a voice and a purpose as to why to use it. At, at what point did you realize this was a gift? I'm young because my sister has. It. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so she was just more or less grooming me to be her backup. Mm-hmm. You know, sing these harmonies. Oh, I said, sing the harmony. You know, oh, look so at we, that. Okay, right. so she worked it with you. Then. Right. No, okay. she's, she. I was the punching bag if I didn't sing the harmony. So I'm gonna get uh-huh. the harmony right uh-huh. the uh-huh. first time to avoid getting socked. Uh-huh. And then there was another cat over at a uh, Bell Chapel CME Church by the name of uh, Jimmy Williams. I want to say his last name. Jimmy. He was the music di- choir director. Yeah. Uh-huh. And he used to just crack the whip so hard on everybody that I didn't want no parts. Uh-huh. So I was just gonna get mine. Uh huh. The first time, but that was the part of the gift of the ear. I was going to say, yeah, no, just being able to hear. That's that's a big gift right there, yeah, and not being able to realize how much of a gift that is because Mm -hmm. other people just could not fall in so fast. Mm -hmm. But once I, you know, was more, it was more or less made aware. Just you know, walking up the street one day, and this girl named Pamela Bishop, I'll never forget it. My homeboy Tony Miller. Uh, we going to start a singing group, and she was like, "Tony, you can't sing. Marty could sing, (laughs) right?" Uh huh. Well, that's that's a natural thing that's coming out of her that I never asked her for right. the endorsement or the recognition. Sure. But I never forgot it either because it was just she was just so emphatic. So if if I have something that makes people react like that, you know, like that, then right. I need to pay attention to it and start to figure out what to do about it, you know. Right. Well, you were saying harmonies at that point, but what were when did you step into realizing that th- this is my voice and I can actually start to utilize this to build something, build a career around? It took a while because once it went bar- it went baritone, I started doing the. Uh, I just fell back and felt like I would write for other people. I see because it hadn't settled, uh-huh. so my voice would be cracking. My voice is really, um, I can't really sing the same thing exactly the same way twice, and it just won't produce. You know, like the things change. The arc of the ability to go up here will change the next time I try and go up there, and that particular part in the song. Mm-hmm. So I'll make the adjustment and either get up there and get out of there faster, mm-hmm. or I actually have more ability to hold it. So I'll get up there and I'll just lean into a space, but it just doesn't give me the same thing twice. Mm-hmm. So with that, it doesn't make me feel like I'm anybody's, you know, best singer mm-hmm. or uh, that that guy. Yeah. yeah. But I could write for that guy. Mm-hmm. So I, I started doing a lot more production and uh, focused on writing in high school. Right, right. All of your singing background was this done with your sister and and kind of through a natural progression of mm-hmm. assimilation of skills, or was there any type of training along the way for you? As a it's all training in yeah. my community mm-hmm. because there's, there's, there's dance groups that you're going to be a part of. There's uh, St. Ignatius had talent show competitions, Third Baptist Church uh, under the helm of Reverend Amos C. Brown mm-hmm. would have programs in the summertime. Bell Chapel would have a leadership training school. All of these things would be training. Yeah. There would not be grooming towards having a career in music directly uh-huh. or as a focus. Yeah. It would just be a part of the overall growth and development of, you know, kids in the neighborhood or kids in the in the Christian church. Mm-hmm. So all that stuff would in because in that you have the dance battle. San Francisco is famous for having a lot of break dancers, boogalooers, strutters as we used to call it. Mm-hmm. So we would compete at St. Uh, St. Amedius every Friday night 
after the basketball games growing up. Mm -hmm. And if you danced or rapped or whatnot, it was, I mean, if you sang, you know, that was cool, but it was more about dancing and um, putting yourself out there and showing that you had a talent mm -hmm. for something rhythmic and something aggressive and that was, you know, battle ready for somebody else to challenge you. Yeah, yeah. So it becomes this whole little prove yourself environment. Your ego is really all you have to kind of stand on at this, you know, age in life. And from your your optics, you don't know how you're going to get on with a, a singing or a music career. Sure. But you know that you can handle that business on that Friday night and you'll be the man for a week, mm -hmm, you know? Mm -hmm. But that set the stage for you as a performer then, right? Because that, that obviously warmed you up to the whole concept of what it meant to get in front of an audience and your ego and proving yourself as mm -hmm. a performer. And then, so at what point then did you integrate the singing and going into the studio with the, the concept of becoming a live performer on your own? Well... When I'm down in Atlanta going to school at Morehouse, uh, a friend from the Bay Area, Zetra and Kim Smith and their family, I want to say it was like Platinum Entertainment or something, they moved from the Bay Area to Atlanta. So now I have a friend who's actually in the music business mm -hmm. while I'm in school. And she introduces me to a producer who is of note in the music business, Randy Rand. Mm -hmm. And this guy is working with and producing with Dallas Austin. Mm -hmm. And before TLC as a group, Rosanda is hanging out in the AUC and Left Eye happens to be this girl that's over at Kim's house. And they're telling me, like, we're going to put this group together and put these girls into a, a thing, you know. So I'm around people who actually can make moves in the business of music mm -hmm. that are putting out artists that understand publishing and production deals. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to borrow their guitar because they had one sitting around. <laughs> so all of this stuff is, you know, giving me little inroads of information and opportunity. Yeah. And uh, I go back home and I'm working and we're working on songs back here. So I'm writing for uh, Courtney Holiday at the time and the two J's, which was Jana and Jeanette and uh, Rob Bessie's another artist from the Bay area. So we wanted to have uh, our own entertainment uh, company. Sure. We wanted to come from San Francisco and put something out into the world that was going to be hot, accessible. We didn't want LA to be the thing that you had to do. You got to go to LA. Because in the Bay Area, there's always been the independent spirit. There's always been Too Short. Yeah. There's always been Tommy and Denny who was putting out uh, or working with the Tonys, putting out In Vogue. Yep. They had, a, you know, a Alien Records. You know, there's just a spirit of independence. Out oh, here. yeah, 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 very much so, so. we were just tying in on that. And mm -hmm. all of this stuff informs me because I know that I have a voice and I have a purpose and I have something that I want to do that's a dream, but I don't know what it is. So the safer route is to just go off to go to college, to yeah. get education. Uh -huh. the, the backup safety route to that is to remain in the background and learn the business and write or create for others. Yeah. Versus saying, it's not about none of y'all, it's about me and my idea, and this is how it goes, who's with me. Right, right. And that took a long time because there was a lot that I still didn't know. The sound of music that I wanted to make had a lot to do with the guitar. Mm -hmm. and well, that, now that happened. Played. That now, that, as I understood, that kind of happened in the early '90s, like around '93, when you put together Hallucination, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So that that was that was an, an inflection point for you, wasn't it? With sure. regards to the guitar and yep. and your musical direction. Some of my college friends used to laugh at me because you know they all hanging out on the yard smoking weed or just enjoying time between class, mm -hmm. and I come bailing across the yard with a guitar, just dragging it, mm -hmm. going to music class, mm -hmm. and the uh, the music teacher would tell me that you're going to have to learn how to play chords but i could hear notes mm -hmm. and i figured out how to play this print song and i'm thinking that i'm impressing him and he's just like 
put on some Earl Clue, listen to some George Benson. And he starts throwing all these names at me of guitarists. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, they don't make the music that I want to make. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. But he's like, yeah, but they have an understanding and and the the facility to make anything. Right. And if you can understand this and why it's necessary, then you too could possibly, Mm -hmm. you know, make anything that you could hear. Mm -hmm. Because it was obvious that I could hear stuff. Mm -hmm. So when I uh, meet uh, Trey, who's a, he's an artist, his name is Stone Mecca. Mm -hmm. And we met in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. Uh, We hit it off instantly. He could play the guitar. He was into avant-garde type styles and sounds. Mm -hmm. And he had done a lot of songwriting and research on his own. He used to be a dancer for like Earth, Wind and Fire and things of that nature. So we knew a lot about that slice of the business. And he had relationships with people like Verdine and Sheldon. So these are monster musicians in our world, you know, connected to Jerome from Morris Day in the time. They're like family members, you know? Mm-hmm. And we started hanging out real tough for years and we put together Hallucination mm-hmm. and we uh, worked on a, a large body of music and we were seeking to get a deal and went through the ups and downs that bands go through and then we implode. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I'm tired of not having released music that represents my voice. Yeah. So by 1997, I got my VS 880 digital eight track. Mm-hmm. And then I was the only one in the neighborhood who had this. Mm-hmm. So amongst my friends and peers, we had a mm-hmm. way to get better sounding quality demos. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Demos were still real back then. Still a thing. <laughs> they were demos. Uh-huh. So. Yeah, yeah. But you have so much demo love. And if nothing else is going to happen, you have finished a song and you could say, hey, this is my talent and I'm going to release this. Right. We never got to that point with hallucination, so I decided to go further and put my records out, learn about the business of being independent, and then start to further figure out what my sound would be. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. And so that led to the release of your first solo album, The Calling. The Calling. Right. Came out in 1999. Yeah. And did you you self-release that as well, right? Yeah. The, on Rebel that Soul? Was on was that was Beyond Re- Entertainment at the time. I see. Okay. And uh, Beyond Entertainment folded into Rebel Soul Records because I went from a transition of being an independent artist to now I have a record deal. And I signed with Good Vibe in Los Angeles. Uh-huh. And Good Vibe ended up losing their distribution deal. Mm-hmm. And this would have been the first of two record deals that for some reason it all just goes to hell. And now you put this energy and this effort into something and there's no real you know, result. Yeah. Yeah. High or low, win or fail, there was just nothing. So my team decided to buy me out of that deal mm-hmm. and then start Rebel Soul in, you know, as the next phase. Yeah. And then we put out Rebel Soul music. Now you said your team. Talk about that for a minute. What 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 is that what did that look like for you then to put together a team, to have a team supporting you in the development of your career? Going through You know, I'm critical of organizations that are in the Bay Area and different parts of the United States that um, that are supposed to be here to support musicians and engineers and artists and whatnot. Diversity has been a problem. Inclusion has been a problem. Mm -hmm. Having an outreach that actually adds up to something to artists that are trying to get on has always been my critical assessment of these organizations. But there have been times when I would attend and I would meet a lawyer, I would meet um, a manager, I would meet a producer, I'd meet an engineer, and those relationships would blossom. So one of those uh, relationships was with a, um, um, a, what do you call him? A lawyer, Michael Axon. Oh, yes. Of educator. Course. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. And because of his spirit was very enormous in wanting to see people win, yep. and if, uh, you know, he would, he would give a lot yeah. before he would be saying, okay, we've crossed the threshold, it's time to 
let's do some professional business. He would be about making sure he's empowered you with a baseline of information to where you could get out there on your own if you had to. Yeah. You would still need somebody who could really scan, you know, scan those documents and find all the loopholes or the the traps that you're going to fall into. Right. He's excellent for that. Now, so he, was this was this at the same time he was working with the Tonys? Because I know he was instrumental mm -hmm. in the Tony 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 career development as well, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, and a lot of artists in the Bay Area. Yeah, he's yeah, just yeah. one who cares, you know, yeah, cares right. enough to not say, "Well, until you, you know, uh, meet my quota or the retainer, then I don't have any information for you." Right. He was not that kind of person. Right. right. He would actually want you to get out there and learn uh -huh. more on your own because he he uh, he's now empowered by a more informed organization of people versus folks that you have to drag and you have to babysit and go through all these kinds of things. So he would share some of his ups and downs as a manager and as a lawyer and whatnot. And I would take all of this, you know, to heart. And I took on the responsibility locally to be in a management position of my own affairs. Uh -huh. And then I also have had members like uh, my manager, Jeff Austin, who was one of my Morehouse brothers. And he had a strong interest in the music business, uh, started working for labels while we were starting our own. Mm -hmm. And once we intersect and hears the music and understands what the purpose behind it is, basically not to ever have to compromise our message mm -hmm. yeah. as an organization, mm -hmm. as a people, as a culture. Mm -hmm. So he was really with that. Mm -hmm. And he and uh, Sean Peters, who was a visionary, a director of photography for a lot of you know, films, things that are happening on HBO, things that are happening in the, the motion picture business and in the commercial mm -hmm. uh, cinematography business. So we felt like we could pull it off. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we just started hammering, you know, knocking on doors and getting ready to produce and and, and promote our next, uh, you know, record, which was Rebel Soul Music. And the lead single was Daily Bread. We get Daily Bread on to like VH1 as uh, a real independent label. You know, we we had to spend some money with some people. We had to go take some meetings. We had to be available to the business in ways that we were unaware of mm -hmm. this kind of stuff, how it really goes down. Yeah. And then we were able to to find my song and our likeness and our label in the business. You know, yeah. we're we're yeah. doing something now. Yeah. Number one of the it was like a top ten song, and we were the only independent company that was getting this action. So. We felt like we had accomplished something. We ain't made no money yet. <laughs> yeah. And that's a big part of it. Like, okay, sure. well, how do you set yourself up in a way to where this is now sustainable? Right. Because the, the objective was to really get into a, a point of visibility to where now we could have a better leverage position if a record deal were to manifest. Yeah, and I find it very interesting, though, that you came at it from a very almost business savvy, aware perspective rather than saying i'm a singer i'm going to put myself out i want to be a star mm -hmm. right i think i think everybody who has the level of talent that you have most people will say i'm just going to put myself out there and hope for the best mm -hmm. right but clearly you had a there's a lot of deeper awareness of the industry coming into this and michael must have had some influence in that uh definitely and and, and help guide you and that you were even willing to put a different singer on that release, knowing that that would lead to greater visibility, right? Sure. Yeah. You know, it was it was a team move. Uh -huh. It's like let's find a way to actually be in this business versus, uh, you know, a flash in a pan, a, a one sparkle without any real steam behind it. Uh -huh. yeah. Well, where would the steam come from? It would come from knowing your business, right? You know, learning how to treat people, learning how to assess the value mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. relationships, mm -hmm. and that didn't come. You know, early on, that's still coming mm -hmm. because there's a lot of relationships that, you know, that got um, 
blown off or were not looked at for their full value. Yeah. And only in hindsight can I say that. Yeah. But at the same time, because, for example, there were like managers that wanted to even get involved back when I was doing the hallucination projects. Mm-hmm. They were very high-powered people, but if you don't have a certain kind of ethical spirit about you, then I now have to you know, willingly get into bed with the devil. Yeah, right? of course. Yeah. So now I have to take on these kind of layers and put on these kinds of cloaks and, and, and armor uh-huh. just to deal, mm-hmm. and that wasn't serving me spiritually. Uh-huh. You know, it's like, I'm I'm being counterproductive to my own purpose in life. Sure. So I didn't do that. And that, you know, hindsight is 2020 because if you don't know or don't have another big brother arm around you, Russell Gatewood, the world famous Rick and Rush show, yeah. people like him have always been there to say, hey, we can also help out with some of the navigation mm-hmm. if you allow us to. Yeah. Yeah. And I would be like, you know, oh, I got it. Or actually, I need some help. It would just be a kind of a push and a pull, but I wouldn't just be open to anybody just because, and I was always trying to keep the squad very, very narrow because you can move more nimbly, you know, that sure. way. Sure, sure. So, you know, I made plenty of mistakes. We all do. I yeah. mean, that, the, the, this industry is littered with 90% mistakes and, mm-hmm. you know, if you're lucky, 10% success. Sure. And I think- Now, how can we how can we change that that leverage a little bit to where it's a little bit more favorable? Right. Well, if we cannot just be putting all our hopes and dreams on one thing happening. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. I, look, I've spent a career trying to do that and help people do that. Right. And creating- And you have, to your credit, and even created a school. That's right. You know? Yeah. And, and that's part and parcel to the discussion we're having here today is to help spread your experience out there for people to hear and grow from because what you've experienced and the knowledge you have is clearly it's invaluable. And, you know, it's hopefully through these kinds of discussions that people can grow and understand the importance of like what you just said, the balance, you know, between what feeds your soul, what feeds your spirit and combining that with your business savvy and awareness to make sure that you don't make the mistakes that, you know, create a soulless experience out of your music career. Right. right? And so I think you've held true to that in a, in a very, in a very beautiful way. And that's led to many incredible experiences along, along the way and many diverse relationships because coming out of that relationship, out of your first album, um, what would you say, what were the big um, awarenesses that came out of that releasing that working with your team and what, where did that take you to? What was the next phase of development for you coming out of that? Well, excuse me, out of the first album, it led to an actual recording contract. Mm -hmm. Uh, Shout out to Nicole Ballin from, uh, ball and PR because she was the one who was like, Hey, you're out here in the Bay area. She was working with Zion. I, mm-hmm. uh, doing PR for them. She was at the source at the time. She knew of good vibe and the interest that they had in putting out good music, whether it was hip hop or it was soul. So she, you know, created a bridge between me and that company and that company, the deal fell apart. Yeah. So we got out of that contract and now we're going into, uh, rebel soul music and rebel soul records. Yeah. And I'm also at the same time, um, uh, running into the roots. Ah, uh, yeah. Now that's, the, a, now that's an interesting story in and of itself. There, it is. It's a whole chapter right there, huh? <laughs> it's really funny because one of my earliest of managers, Lamar Davidson, thought about the record business and who could be an ally for an artist like myself, and that was who she came up with. Uh-huh. And this was back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. You should, you know, I'm like, well, why would I try and get down with the roots? I'm from San Francisco. There's some Philly boys I don't, you know, she was like, yeah, but they have a band and they can 
utilize what you bring as an artist in a band environment versus you trying to be on some, you know, straight up hip hop. Because hip hop was just, was everything. So she was looking at people that she had access to and was like, yo, I think you should try and uh, get down with the roots. Because she she and Vinnie Mojica were friends and Common and Most Def and all of these cats were available to us just by osmosis. If we go to New York, we go to Wetlands on Sundays, the roots are playing. Badu is going to be there. China Black is going to be there. Dante uh, Yasin Bey is going to be there. Talib is going to be there. Black Thought is going to be rapping. Quest is going to be playing. The list goes on of who's who's in this burgeoning underground. Mm-hmm. And they welcomed me into that at that point. Saul Williams, you know, I was doing shows with these guys. Anyway, I'm down in L- at uh, Texas going to my grandmother's funeral, and I just happen to see that the roots are in town. Cody Chestnut's on the bill, Erica Badu. So I hit him up like, yo, I'm, I'm trying to come through. Mm-hmm. Cool, I got you. So I go check out the show, and it's great. And at the same time, Good Vibe, what I was signed to, um, they wanted me to go to New York to just have a meeting with the guy that was considering bringing me on in the Sony, you know, record system. Mm-hmm. It was just an early conversation, a meet and greet, do a showcase, mm-hmm. this kind of a thing. Sure. And so I asked Cody if I could get on his bus uh, and ride up with them through Texas, New Orleans, Philadelphia, New York, that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. I get to New York, and by the time I get there at the end of the week, the guy from Sony has been fired. Oh, yeah. Got to love it. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, all right, I'm about to go back to California because the tour had ended in New York. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to just ride the bus back to Cali. You know, we're just having a good time, writing songs, experiencing the road life and all this kind of thing. And um, Cody's tour manager, Anna Robbins, she was in touch with Amir and he was having um, guitarist auditions because Ben Kinney had left the group to go over to Incubus. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Great opportunity for him. Of course. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, that left a, a vacuum in their situation and they were trying to fill it. So she just, you know, cleverly said, hey, I know somebody that wants to audition for guitar and told Quest that I was interested and he invited me over to audition. And they offered me the job for a week, pretty much. They were doing a tour over in Europe and they needed somebody to come fill in a spot. And at the same time, they were also hiring Kirk Douglas, who became their go-to Captain Kirk signature Gibson guitar wielding guitar player mm-hmm. and at that same time vernon reed from living color decided that he was going to be available for a week cody chestnut had a hit song with the roots kirk was on stage and me mm-hmm. so we had a four you know hard hitting hardwood guitar army with the roots hip-hop sound for the first time and that was pretty amazing yeah you know and then it um that was a moment right yeah. there. That was a moment in time. <laughs> that was a moment. We did a few, you know, a few TV show appearances and whatnot, uh-huh. a lot of touring. Yeah. So I learned a lot more. You know, I'd done more shows with them in a month than I had pretty much done in my entire career mm-hmm. because the roots are that busy, mm-hmm. you know? That's incredible. And at that time, they just was working everywhere. Mm-hmm. So I got a chance to learn, and they allowed me to tag along. They hired me for a week, then they'd let me go, then they'd bring me back for a couple of events, then I'd go back home. And we did that for about six months, then I finally started to uh, be on the East Coast more regularly, so that meant that I could work with them more regularly. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Because I also had to now stop my rebel soul music processes right i was just gonna ask you that and Mm -hmm. that's what i was you know torn by because Mm -hmm. when you have people behind you when you have ideas and uh um, uh, goals that you want to you know you've basically sold people or or had them buy into your dreams Mm -hmm. 
and these goals that you want to meet by a certain time. Mm-hmm. Well, the fact that this great opportunity exists that could just blow up everything and make it bigger and better doesn't mean that you just jump ship just because. Right. At least where I'm from, you know, mm-hmm. we want to we want to be true to the soil sometimes to a fault. Mm-hmm. But if that's not my plan to go get on somebody else's train, then I'm not going to just go jump ship. But my people here are saying, who else in the Bay Area is asking you to do anything that's going to get you on television, yeah. right? Yeah. I'm on Craig Kilborn. I'm on Late Night with such and such. We're on MTV. We're over in Miami. We're overseas. Mm-hmm. This is all from just being amenable to some cats that were like, yo, play a few licks and sing a few songs with us, you know, and let's, let's see how it goes. Mm-hmm. So it was going. Mm-hmm. And that went for about three years. And it also was a big holdup on what we were doing that just kind of came to a stop on the West Coast, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But just because I'm... I have access to people now in the Netherlands, in Luxembourg, in Europe, in Texas, in Miami, in Philadelphia. That doesn't mean I'm getting any airplay in San Francisco. Sure. But did that really matter at that point in time to you? Were you thinking that? Yeah. Or were you thinking, this is an amazing opportunity, and I'm meeting a lot of people, and this is going to open doors for for Rebel Soul and, and the future of my career? It did, and both were happening because every advantage has its tax. So I'm gaining ground, mm-hmm. but I'm basically no longer connected to what's going on over here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, the people over here are happy that I'm gaining ground because nobody over here is really moving at that same speed or altitude. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. We didn't have, you know, we've had a lot of underground talents that have made tremendous successes in the music business. So it wasn't like nobody. But in my group of peers, mm-hmm. there wasn't anybody at that level. So it was like, why come back here doing this? Mm-hmm. Did you continue to write at that point during the, that phase uh, mm. of touring? And were you writing and still collaborating with your team back here with um, you know, sure. Pascal or anything? Always. Of, uh, I mean, you know, we have, uh, I would always make sure that I get back home uh-huh. and I would dump my, my hard drive, mm-hmm. you know, and then he would take the stuff that I was working on. Like, for example, I want to say Questlove was uh, courted by, a label to produce some songs for maybe a Sly and a Family Stone tribute album or something. Mm-hmm. And I was the only one in, in the group that had Pro Tools on his computer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they sent him uh-huh. Pro Tool files uh-huh. of original Sly and a Family Stone tracks. Oh, no kidding. And I was like, word? Uh-huh. Well, only way for you to hear them joints is to put them in right here. <laughs> right here. <laughs> So uh-huh. once that happened, uh-huh. and I was like, yeah, man, you see the Knicks, they playing basketball over there. You see that? Oh, that girl last night, she was, and I'm just downloading, uh-huh. downloading, uh-huh. downloading, copy, uh-huh. copy, copy. Here's your this, you know. Uh-huh. So anyway, I'm listening to this stuff. We both were, and we were just kind of amazed at what we were hearing. And these were multi-tracks? Yeah. So you were able to actually isolate tracks and dig in, huh? Yeah. First time, you know, ever. Mm, yeah. Right? Yeah, amazing. And yeah. Uh, he went on to produce you know, some incredible records for them. Mm-hmm. And I went on to get some ideas brewing. And Quest came in and played on some of those ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, and the spirit of Sly Stone and their music definitely is in those ideas, but I just made them my own. And uh, Pascal was around to hear what I was thinking and to counter it. So my thing with Pascal would always be like um, a boxing session. Mm-hmm. You know, we're looking for the knockout punch, mm-hmm. but you got to have your defense up because somebody else is looking to knock you out, mm-hmm. right? So okay. it's is it the footwork? Is it your ground game? Is it the stamina? Did you run your miles? We're going to test your theory. And pressing play is the, the best way to test it. 
Sure. Now, is it sticky? Is the hook in the right place? Does the musicianship needs to be updated? Should we edit this? You know, all these different things. So we would fleece each other's ideas, and he would definitely do most of the fleecing of mine. Who, who, who would Pascal. Do? Pascal. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. So I could come and trust what his his uh, his goal was to make the best record. Yeah. And I'm still going through this thing about my Rebel Soul ideas, which is live band more or less, Nirvana, Radiohead, you know, Oasis, mm-hmm. Soundgarden, you know, different types of things. Now, these are the a lot machine. of these are a lot of white rock artists you're naming here, right? They play guitar. And they play guitar. Okay. They so play guitar was, and that, they emote. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's something that I could do. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. But I wasn't, you know, funkin' prince. Or Rick James, or styling up like uh, Curtis Mayfield. So was that? Would you say that was the rebel in your soul? Mm-hmm. Right. And that and that's how those two align themselves, right? Yeah, because one day I listened to Sam Cooke, uh-huh. uh, maybe sitting on oh, Otis Redding, uh-huh. Dock of the Bay, Dock of the Bay. That's the same yeah. chord progression uh-huh. of. When you were here before, couldn't look you in the eye, just like an angel. Uh-huh. And I'm like, well, shit, how does Otis Redding's soul and in in, in in Radiohead have the same chord movement? Uh-huh. It's just chords. Of course. But I would have never been able to make a bridge between those two songs or those two artists. Uh-huh. And when I find myself in the middle of that, I'm just like, okay, I'm going to do both. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. The chorus is going to be hard hitting with the rock. Uh-huh. The verse is going to be smoothed out with the soulful licks. Uh-huh. And I'm going to write my song. I'm going to write my version. I'm going to make Superstar or uh-huh. I'm going to make Channel Surfing or whatever song that all of this information comes into me and it comes out in my own original you know, mm-hmm. weaving, mm-hmm. which is repurposing, mm-hmm. which is remixing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Same thing that hip hop was doing. Of course. Same thing that Lenny Kravitz was doing if you knew all the rock and roll songs that he was taking a whiff of. Uh-huh. Yeah. But Lenny, I mean, Lenny was straight up rock and roll. Straight right? up. He was really straight. You were really fusing genres at right. that point. And do you feel like your audience got it? Did, did they? Yeah. That's Mm-mm. what I'm wondering. It's not the easiest thing to get. Now, right. a lot of people coming from my side of the city or my side of the tracks were not into loud guitars. Right. Did not listen to Nirvana. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And did not care that I f- had an affinity for that. Yeah. They like smooth they like R&B. Right. They like easy listening. They like beautiful melody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Prince was like the dagger in the heart of everything for me mm-hmm. because he could walk in any direction and murder it. Just right. absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, that's the bar. And if I could do a new edition type fun, kicking it kind of club song, but I'm not living in a life that's that's geared towards that. I'm living in a real space where I'm seeing, all right, so my family has had had at that time for over 40 years um, a business where we employed people, a security guard service. Yeah. So I'm seeing the political structure in the landscape of San Francisco from a different lens. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing the hardship of brothers coming out of prison and not having anybody that they can go to to get a first job. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing myself come back out of college and being uh, imbued with this information and being ch- charged with the challenge from our uh, Morehouse um uh, the, the administrators, like when you go back home, go get active in your community. Yeah. Make sure you do something that adds some value to the people that are around you. Don't just act like you don't see the problems or you don't have any ability to affect change. Yeah. So with my music, it found purpose in creating 
change, not to become a part of whatever was going just because you could possibly get paid. Mm -hmm. So when I write a song, it's looking at a social construct that it wants to help dismantle. I'll take mother, don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys. I know the song from just American popular culture. Mm -hmm. I couldn't sing any more of it than that. Mm -hmm. But when I hear a certain bass line that Pascal plays on his keyboard, I hear, mama, don't let your baby grow up to be a gangster. <laughs> yeah. And I go on to uh -huh. tell my story. Sure, sure. You know, yeah. look around, take a look around, and baby, tell me what you see. Ain't no love, ain't no trust amongst us in our own community. Now, it's gang banging, it's, it's fist fights, it's turning up the club, it's people in business of entertainment who are not able to really have a, a successful career in the entertainment business because of some of the same activity that's promoted in the rap song. Mm. So I'm going to exist more or less as an antithesis to that, mm -hmm. you know, because I don't see that as the bottom line guttural truth. I see that as more like a hype mm -hmm. because the truth of the matter is you've just limited opportunities for hella more people that's coming behind you. They'll never get a chance to perform at that club. You done fucked it off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So who's going to address that? Mm -hmm. And how is it going to be done in a way that I think is cogent, that is impactful, that is honest and authentic? Mm -hmm. And nobody was there. Mm -hmm. So that's, again, what the purpose of Rebel Soul Records, you know, was created for, mm -hmm. to give a voice to those things that were more or less silenced. But that's very broad. I mean, the responsibility you put on your own shoulders by taking that on is uh, is significant, right? And now I, I want to touch back on something you said earlier. You mentioned Prince, yeah, somebody who who put the dagger in the heart, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, but this is a guy who could embody Jimi Hendrix uh, at the same time that he could embody so many different styles of music and integrate them in such an intelligent mm. and breathtaking way. Mm. Um, and I like the way you said that. Well, you know, and, and this is something you've embodied in many ways, and clearly somebody out there saw it. Because they cast you in in a film, right? That embodied some of that essence. Whether it, that film was geared towards fifteen year old girls or not, mm -hmm. um, there was an element that somebody saw in you. Mm -hmm. And so, maybe just talk a little bit of how that evolved, coming out of you know your touring with the Roots, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're you're being asked to be a film star, right? You know, that, that, that's a big jump right there. It's a big jump, but you know what? I have to um, acknowledge that. The things that happen to us externally are often based on what we are meditating and thinking about. Oh, yeah. yeah. The mind is so It's not powerful. coincidental is what I'm trying Definitely to say. Definitely not. And I know that the power of thought, you know, it's it's for real. It's not, um, this, is, this is not, I don't know what the science of it is yet, mm -hmm. but I know that you can create things with your mind that actually manifest in your life. So we're done with the roots in this, you know, should I say they took a break in 2005 anyway, they just wanted to kind of shut down operation and retool and figure out what their next steps was going to be. And I took that as my springboard exit plan. All right. I'm 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 good. We've had a good run two or three years. I'll see y'all probably intermittently from here. And it's time for me to leave New York. It's been a good moment. Let's get back and figure out what the next step is going to be. We get an email that says, Hey, we're interested in Martin Luther auditioning for a major motion picture. Please contact us immediately. And strange because we had changed servers like three times 
uh, as far as people that you know host our our uh, web services. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> so your were, email account changed. Yeah, or I mean, we just be. we just kept uh -huh. changing. So it could have easily fallen into one of those moments where uh -huh. we didn't get the message. Uh huh. Yeah. But we got this one. Well, and the so, universe wanted you yeah, to get the message. This is what huh? I'm saying. <laughs> I'm on my way to the airport. Uh huh. And we're passing by. Uh huh. I'm dragging a bag. You know, I got guitar pedals, and you know, I heard somebody wanted me to come down here and play some guitar. And so they were kind oh, of taking this was in L.A.? This is in New York. Oh, New York. Okay. All right. This is Julie Taymor. Okay. This is, you know, the Sony people. This is the the music coordinators. This is the actors and actresses. Everybody was already in the mix. I'm the only one that don't know what the hell is going on. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. And they're like, well, where's, you know, where's his resume? Where's his headshot? I don't have none of that. Uh-huh. They're like, uh, you do understand that this is an audition for a major motion picture, a musical right and i was like yeah y'all want me to play and sing something right <laughs> they were like okay uh do you know the song uh -huh. and so peter callow famous guitar player new york uh -huh. he was outside just showing me a cooler way to play a d chord just to play okay. this while uh -huh. my guitar gently weeps you know, oh, yeah. phrase uh -huh. and so i strum it i look at you all and like you could just see the room and in my mind i'm like oh i got that so I'm, I'm trying to get through the song, right? Uh -huh. I don't know what I got, uh -huh. but I know the whole room just leaned in. Uh huh. That's good. Yeah. And then Julie broke that up quickly. Like, okay, wait a minute. We don't have any parts in the song that are really going to be this this quiet. Can you sing loud? <laughs> 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 right. And I'm uh -huh. just like, well, what do you mean? And the piano player is right on cue. Oh, darling, you know. Uh huh. And I was like, okay, hit it again. Oh, darling. So then they're like, hey, you know then so now all of a sudden people are buddying up on me uh, casting agents and handlers and they, walking me over here hey this is looking good for you uh we, we need to talk because da, 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 da. by the end of the day they're like don't leave town and um take this script and learn these you know parts because we want you to audition for real uh-huh and i come back in about a week and uh the suits are there you know that's it's all this now. Uh-huh. All business. All business. Uh -huh. What I didn't know is that they had already gone through this process of casting everyone. This is middle of the year. It's like July, August for me. Uh -huh. They had gone through January and March and drained LA and New York for the role, you know, the people that they wanted to cast in the movie. Uh-huh. And <clears throat> they were, were they, they were looking for name talent uh, or they, they tried just... to get some name talents uh -huh. in. Uh, -huh. uh I don't know who all in uh -huh. the other roles that they may have been going for. Sure. But with the character that I ended up playing, JoJo, they had definitely were trying to approach like an uh, outcast, Andre 3000 or mm -hmm. uh, Maxwell or Ben Harper. Mm -hmm. Those are some of the names that, mm -hmm. you know, that they had tossed in my ear mm -hmm. as if, you know, like, hey, in case this doesn't work out for you, they had already reached out to some other people before you got here. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I was like, OK, you know, no sweat, because all of this is still kind of unknown to me and I'm not really aware of what it all means. Plus, it's a, a musical. Mm hmm. Sure. Right. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And it ends up working out when I come back and do the audition. And so they end up offering me the role. And the rest, you know, on that particular situation is our story. You know, <laughs> it was fun. It was uh -huh. a great time. Made some, you know, I had held a lot of relationships with the same, with the cast and with the director and different people that are, yeah. that worked on that project, producers and whatnot. Uh -huh. So it's been a gift that keeps on giving. Uh -huh. A lot of people find me through, um, that movie uh-huh yeah. and they want to know what i you know what are you up to now what are yeah. you doing now uh -huh. somebody just posted the other day it's amazing to me that you 
that the world is still sleeping on you. <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, it's time to wake them up. Uh, <laughs> so that's yet another launching point for you uh, or inflection point in your career. At mm-hmm. that point, did you think, well, now I'm going to, I think I'm just going to become an actor. I'm going to do more films. I definitely wanted to. Uh-huh. Um, uh, the Dave Chappelle block party was, was didn't require acting, but that film was uh-huh. being, was had just, wrapped up prior to this one happening. Mm-hmm. And then when I was with The Roots, I did a show, uh, a movie called Chasing Liberty with Mandy Moore or something like that. So I just kind of got my, you know, that's where my SAG card came in. Okay. Right? Yeah. It's mm-hmm. a big deal. And I'm like, yeah. you know, what is that? And they're like, sign this and shut up. You uh-huh. know what I mean? Uh-huh. So now I'm on with Screen Actors Guild and uh-huh. thankfully have been with them, you know, ever since. Uh-huh. More gifts that that continue to, that continue to give. Mm-hmm. And uh, some TV show appearances. Mm-hmm. Or some roles on TV shows in New York sure. happened, yeah. and more auditions happened, and then um, I still needed to come back to California because, unfortunately, my brother was going through a lot of hardship, and he was really dissolving internally, mm. and he was not wanting to, you know, stand up and and do the best that he could be doing with himself. And the family had gotten to a point where they're like, you know, we don't know what to do. Maybe you can come back and and help out. All right. So he dies, and then it just kind of sends me into a tailspin. Like, uh, I don't want to have nothing to do with anything at that point. And music is going through a lot of changes, where digital is taking over, where services are establishing themselves, where streaming Streaming services and Mm -hmm. giving your music away to these streaming services is the new move. Uh In between things, what I didn't mention was that I had signed another record deal with Blue Hammock, a a label out of uh, New York. And after putting in a good two years of working with them and the rigors of pushing and pulling, they lose their distribution deal. Mm. So this is the second time Mm -hmm. that we decided to take our bounty of idea and talent and put it in somebody else's hands Mm -hmm. and absolutely nothing comes of it. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what to do at that point other than just wait until purpose replenishes me. And that didn't happen until 2011. And that's when I put out Extraterrestrial Brother and changed the handle to Martian. Mm-hmm. Just feeling, you know, unclear <laughs> feeling about other, anything. otherworldly, maybe. Yeah, just uh-huh. Not, uh-huh. not clear about planet. any of it. Uh-huh. Yeah. And why? And I was like, it was a test. I'm like, I've been writing the whole time, but I haven't been finishing it and putting stuff out. So let's go for it and just kind of see what happens. Well, that whole period, the, the entire music industry had been going through a huge transition. Right. Coming out of Napster and trying to figure itself out and the labels were trying to figure themselves out. The death of the CD. Yeah. We had we had all of our precepts geared, fine-tuned for the business prior to it going through this, this change. Mm-hmm. So as it's transitioning, it doesn't make sense to me. The kids are like, yeah, you know, Napster, free songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, cloud services. Yeah. Free music. Put it up there. Let's go. Let me hear what you got. And I'm yeah. like, I'm not giving you nothing for free. Yeah. yeah. And they're like, oh, well, then you're not a part of the music business. Yeah. And I'm like, no, you don't understand that this is this is this is this is prime stock here. This is reserve good stuff. You uh-huh. just don't get to sit this. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You got to pay the premium. Uh-huh. They were like, oh no, uh-huh. you don't understand, sir. Uh-huh. You've been misinformed. Yeah. There are no more premiums. Uh-huh. Yeah. Gimme. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it took me a while to understand that I was gonna have to play in a whole nother realm uh-huh. that I wasn't, you know, accustomed. And so it just took the time that it took for me to come out of seeing things from my perch to just seeing what it is. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I started walking back up that mountain, mm-hmm. started releasing more material and um getting more, you know, 
back in the mix with what's going on with the modern music practice. Yeah, and at what point, um, because your sound has always gone through so many amazing shifts and turns and blends of different styles. And, and now we, we've come to a point where you're, you're getting involved with SF jazz. And th this is like a whole new, another, yet another inflection point in the career of Martin Luther. True. And so how, how did that come about? I would see these, um, you know, we're all as a performer, you're looking to get paid. Mm -hmm. You're looking to be on stage. You want to yeah. be a part of events that are happening that people, um, resonate with mm -hmm. whether it be the what's it called um sigmund stern groves summer music series yeah whether it be the rock the bells or things that happen at these different arenas in the bay area the many whether different it be, festivals yeah yeah mm -hmm. noise pop whether you know all these different things so if i'm not getting booked then either i don't have the right people pitching or there's something, there's a bridge that needs to be mended that I could have burned because I just, I was a flamethrower back in the day too. <laughs> Fuck them people. <laughs> they don't know what the shit is. I got the shit. <laughs> so uh -huh. you have to learn from some of this stuff. For yeah. example, one of the first shows I had down in Los Angeles in Hollywood was at a club and we were feeling good. This is our third or fourth time back down with, with a certain group. And I happened to start drinking before the show. Mm -hmm. You know, it's what people do. It's mm -hmm. rock and roll, right? Okay, yeah. Cool. Uh huh. What's not cool is to cuss out the sound man uh -huh. on stage. What's not cool is to be late for sound check and then have the audacity to cuss out the sound man during the show. So how does that really impact someone? Well, he was pissed off, didn't like da 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 da, -da. The show sucked for a lot of reasons. I was one of them. And... Later on in life, when some opportunities to perform in Los Angeles almost came my way, that same sound man told the people, no, we're not going to have him. He's an asshole. Oh, if he's on the show, I'm not doing it. Right. Yeah. You hear that, people? Anybody listening out there? You hear that? Things that goes you around, go comes around. Uh-huh. Yeah. You yeah. Know. Mm -hmm. So when you, when you, when you feel like you got to be that fire breathing dragon, Understand that some of those folks that get crisped, you know, they may still be in your future in ways that you just had no idea that they're going to impact yeah, right. some of your opportunity or prospect. Mm -hmm. But that was a good one for me to really just take. You know, I reached out to the guy. Mm -hmm. I issued an apology. Mm -hmm. I wasn't trying to get the gig. I was hurt by the fact that my behavior had impacted someone so negatively yeah. that they would feel that way about me mm -hmm. and this is years later right. where i think i've gone through some growth and maturation right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you didn't want to hear it anyone has shit to do with it you know mm -hmm. f him blah 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 so i was like that's fair mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. and thanks for the lesson mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. yeah. that's what all i can really say about that was thank you mm -hmm. uh the sf jazz is an interesting situation because i had been on stage at sf jazz i did a show with Chappelle at sf jazz I did an Amy Winehouse tribute with uh, Undercover SF and Liz Luke at SF Jazz. Mm -hmm. And the uh, owners and the, the people who really make things happen were, you know, kind of like, hey, you know, one day we need to get you in here to do something. But what I come to find out is you also need to be able to sell 650 tickets because they're, they're, they're a business. They're oh, not yeah. just an organization that says, hey, we got people hanging out. Why don't you come get on stage? And here goes a bunch of money to do it. No, if it doesn't add up, then they, they can't hire 
everybody who just wants to be there just because you think you are deserving. Sure, right? sure. So they said, it's a process. You need you to sell out the Joe Henderson lab a couple of times and we don't have any spaces on our schedule until next year. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, we'll see what happens next year. You know, I'll still be here. Y'all still be here. Cool. Prior to them contacting me, SF Jabs was more like an organization that I would be more disparaging of. Like, you know, they don't really fuck with the locals. They got yeah. all these other people coming in from across the United States to across the world. Uh -huh. What about the talents that are here? Right. Yeah, yeah. And they have answers for that statement. Mm -hmm. But they also have programs that help people who are young, who are impressionable, who want to have a career in music. And I'm not aware of these things. Mm -hmm. They also are doing their damnedest to raise money, to get the donors to make contributions, to make sure that there is a stage for some local talents and possibly the big stage, right? So after I become uh, a member of the SF Jazz Collective and they want to know what I think about the organization, I express just what I said. So just to, to be clear, you were invited to join the SF Jazz Collective. I was collection. invited to join. Was that Randall Klein personally inviting you? That was you? a personal invitation. Yeah. Uh -huh. I would say that comes after having done a few successful shows there uh -huh. and him looking at the fact that the SF Jazz Collective needs to rebrand. Uh-huh. And this will be the first time in 15 years that they're going to add a vocalist to a very sophisticated, heady jazz, you know, super group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what do I have being in a jazz super group that's playing all kinds of crazy scales and time signatures and keys and all this kind of stuff? I don't do that. I do something else. But what they thought would work was if they also combined a Miles Davis 50th anniversary and a Sly and the Family Stone 50th anniversary uh, 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 homage. Sly comes back. Sly comes back. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. And they're like, "Can you know? Can you get in there and knock down stand?" Uh -huh. And I'm like, "I know the album pretty much front to back, so sure, I could do that." But what I didn't know is that I was going to be in a room with these masterminds who were going to recreate music totally different than how I was familiar with it. Sure. So now I have to now find a way in to what this guy thinks and then this guy thinks because every member of the collective is responsible for their own arrangement. Yeah. And it didn't mean that they had to consider the vocalist, mm -hmm. right? That didn't mean that they didn't consider me, but they're writing stuff way faster than anybody could really humanly just say it. Well, this, this goes right back to the very beginning of our conversation and how you reframed, uh, you know, don't let your, you know, boys grow up to be cowboys. Right. So you're reframing. Here you go again. Right. Right. Uh -huh. And seeking to keep some of the authenticity of Sly and all that amazing vocalization. These dudes are ridiculous. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, so yeah. That, that must have challenged you. That must have been. Every day I was uh, like, I, I just been dropped into, you know, a, a cauldron of flames and every moment was just burning me up because I'm just like, fuck, I can't remember where I was supposed to come in. Uh, my cues are simple, measured arrangements. Right. And I run the band, so uh -huh. I don't come in until I say so. Uh -huh. Their arrangements were already set to have things happen at a specific time. Yeah. And I have to count differently now. I have to find other little triggers to hold on to that will inform me as to where I'm supposed to be in this one spot. Mm -hmm. And then get out of there quick because this thing is coming. Now get back in here, you know what I mean? So it was it was, it was, was very, you had to be nimble and it was a lot of moving like a javelin throughout this whole world of all the sonic wonderment. Cause you got vibes, you got sax and trumpet and you got the bass player and the drummers going off. And uh, every uh, another piano player, it's like multi instrumentalist. These guys, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. 
seems like it's opened up yet again other doors and other perspectives on your extraterrestrial view of of your musical career here. Mm. And, and so at what point did Keb Choice come into the mix? You'd, you'd met him much earlier, right? In the early mm -hmm. 2000s? Early 2000s, might even been the late 90s. I had to go mm -hmm. do a show in Seattle mm -hmm. for, you know, some festival or whatnot, and I needed a piano player, and a friend of mine mm -hmm. suggested Kev. He's he's a talented MC, and he raps. He's been rapping since you know, being the young dude in high school at Skyline while the Souls of Mischief Cats is you know killing it in the game, but a couple of years older, and just you know being an understudy to a lot of the greats of the Bay Area, should I say? Mm -hmm. Not only that, but to actually pursue uh, uh, becoming a master. Uh, a bachelor, you know, mm -hmm. of, of arts and whatnot, mm -hmm. and probably a master's degree mm -hmm. in music and theory and in arrangement. He's been working with the SF Symphony. Um, he might be up for a Grammy or something. You know, they're 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 T talented things. pianist. And, and, oh man, and very talented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Matter of fact, Kev and I. So again, uh, SF Jazz. Mm -hmm. They reached out to me and said, "Hey, while we're in this, in this pandemic culture, we're going to try something called Alone Together." Mm -hmm. And Alone Together is an opportunity for a, um, a, a instrumentalist and or a vocalist to present their works. Now, if you can play your own songs, then you could just do your own solo show. But if you have to uh, have someone accompany you, then they'll have to be in a whole another room in a whole another section of the facility, and you'll be in the main room by yourself. And we're talking about a 700-seater auditorium, and you're alone. Mm -hmm. Due to COVID restrictions, once someone is unmasked in this environment with this kind of uh, HEPA filtering system, no one else can enter for 24 hours. And that's the rule we had to abide by. So Kev was in a whole other room on a video screen, and I was in the main room. And in his room, he had a video screen of me, and we both had a monitor for each other. So we had to practice this show knowing that we were not going to be able to be in the space to really vibe. And that was that created a different challenge for the performance itself. And then at the last minute, they really wanted me to talk about stuff that we were doing. And we didn't design the show that way because we knew we're not going to be able to see each other and really be there. So we needed to count exactly what we were going to do here before it transitions to here and here's some solo for you. Then I'll take over and lead into this song. You know, so we practiced it that way. Uh -huh. And we had to make some adjustments at the last second that you know, ended up being okay, but that show exists on their website, sfjazz.org, and it'll be there until uh, the 31st of March. It's called Alone Together, and it was the first one for 2021 season. Mm -hmm. Now, but at that point, had you already been working on Warmth of Other Suns? How long had that been uh, brewing for? The Warmth of Other Suns is like a lot of my songs where I know that there's a um, there's something amazing in it. And what is amazing about it could be personal or it could be global. A lot of times, the more personal something is, the more universal it could become. Mm -hmm. But that was not, you know, on my mind. I just knew that I had an idea. The book is uh, the, the start of this conversation that I'm having with my manager, Jeff. We started off talking about a book called The Half That Has Never Been Told, which is about the financial system of America being built off of the backs of slaves mm -hmm. and how it specifically happened. Mm -hmm. Not, you know, not um, a hypothesis, but the actual steps that led to the financial infrastructure of the company amassing wealth. Mm -hmm. So then when we start getting into that author and some of his perspective on the book, it makes us transition the conversation into migration 
and the Southern families who had to, to flee the Jim Crow South in order to create an opportunity of self-determination for themselves. So that's the greatest revolution that has happened on American soil. Mm-hmm. When everything that you've known for the last few hundred years, you have to divorce yourself from and venture out into the unknown. And that's the analogy of the title of the song right there, right? Right. Yeah. And the uh-huh. title of the song comes from a Richard Wright poem, and it speaks about would my southern roots be able to blossom in a foreign sun will you know will i bend and break to the to the wind or will it be too cold or too rigid for me to actually continue to exist do i need to stay here do i need to get out of here you know mm-hmm. it posed these kinds of questions mm-hmm. and isabel wilkerson she took that title to heart and decided to write a story about these three african american families that left the uh, the jim crow south seeking self determination and they didn't know each other mm-hmm. but they had the same reasons the same things happened to their family members the same atrocities happened to each of these three families and she just documented their accounts mm-hmm. so all that i found out later what i needed was to hear the phrase cuz that's the way my mind works the warmth of other suns i'm like the warmth of other suns what is that because to me, the warmth of another sun or something other means that the sun that we have that has been providing all this light is not the kind of nutrition that we can thrive off of. Mm. It may not be the sun in the sky, or it might be. It may be the organization of community. Well, the, sun, be- the sun is what we orbit, right? So, you, you know, we draw all of our life from the sun. Sustenance. The sustenance, whatever. Resource. So the idea of having to find another source, right? That, it's heavy. It is very heavy, yeah. yeah. And it, it just hit me like, damn. Uh-huh. But what didn't take long was for the melody and the words. Uh-huh. Maybe we'll find our life in the warmth of other suns. The po- the, po- the the possibility the the potential of something to hope for. Yeah. Because something about my spirit remains hopeful versus succumbing to being hopeless. Mm-hmm. And I may have to go through hopelessness moments to remember that about my own life and my own trajectory. So it's not like everything has just been great. It's mm-hmm. been a lot of, you know, it's been enough hardship. I can't say that my pain is any greater or worse than someone else's, you know? Yeah. But I know that there are people who have had much harder circumstances that they've had to fight through. I've had two parents in the house my entire life until my father passed. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That I grew up with that were there Mm -hmm. versus most of my friends were raised by the grandma. Mm -hmm. It's different. Very, very different. You know, and your outlook on things is different. You have a man in the home who is doing the best he can to provide some guidance Mm -hmm. and some, you know, some presence. There was nobody smoking on a crack pipe in the house. Mm -hmm. There was nobody dealing weed out the house. Mm-hmm. There was no answer on the phone like, yo, yo, what up? Mm-hmm. You get backhanded quick. Because mm-hmm. this is a business, this life that we have, and we don't have the opportunity to lose a customer because of my foolishness answering the phone, mm-hmm. trying to be cool. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That kind of regimented environment. But that also is what laid the you know the track for me to be rolling along steady versus getting pulled off to this wayside or that wayside. So sure. I give thanks for it, but I also know that there's there's all kinds of ways that are way worse that people have had to come through life and try and figure out and find themselves and overcome. But I definitely um, consider myself the overcomer. Yeah. <laughs> well, so as a part of this writing process for you, mm. you've now obviously fully embraced uh, digital audio workstations. I know you work in Logic, right? And you've uh, you put together this track 
on your own mm-hmm. as a part of the creative process, right? Yeah. Uh, and and you've brought it along with you here today, which I'm kind of excited about getting an opportunity for you to share the original pre-production of this track sure. to see kind of the genesis of this song, how you saw it uh, originally being produced, and then bringing in some incredible talent, right? Mina Choi, sure. the Magic, Magic Magic Orchestra, going into a studio and then collaborating with some other amazing musicians about uh, you know, to put this thing out. And so I'd love for you to just kind of talk a little bit about this original production that you've got going here, maybe play a little bit of this for us and talk about it from that perspective, and then talk about what that transition was like going into the studio and then realizing the full potential of, you know, bringing in a string section and all the pieces coming together. Can you hand me that guitar behind you? Oh, yeah, I can. Okay. I don't know if it's in tune. It's okay. I tuned it up earlier. All right, good. And the reason why is because with me, melody... And song starts here. I always hit the E chord. I don't have any of the most dexterity or knowledge of the instrument of the guitar and all that kind of a thing, but I can sound out something. So I'm thinking about it and then it turns into. You know, you go through these A's and B's and C's and G's and whatever. We are aware of your fear and exhausted from having to hide who we are. I'm like, yeah. This is directly from a conversation with Jeff about our exhaustion from all of the death that we have to witness of, uh, let's say, police killing unarmed black men. Mm-hmm. Or in our own community of just like in Oakland the other night, some dude gets shot in the head by another black dude in front of his kids. Mm -hmm. And now the kids and all the people that's playing have to, they have to continue to live with this trauma Mm. and this pain and this angst, you know, and not to mention the community just, Mm -hmm. so it's something that we, we are, we're constantly, you know, battling from a lot of sides. And so the warmth of other suns does not necessarily denote that there is a a white sun that is not feeding us properly. Mm -hmm. There could be a black sun Mm -hmm. that has led us into a toxic masculinity behavior Mm -hmm. that hip hop is only doubling down on. And if you only have heard hip hop songs your entire life, you might not have heard anything that offered you any love or sustainable information. So the other sun is the option. Mm -hmm. Rebel Soul Music exists as a label as an option. Mm That's basically because I wasn't going to have my voice or my thoughts to be compromised by somebody else's saying, well, this would be cool, but we need you to take black out. We need you to take that white out. We need you to take anything out that we think is offensive or is going to limit the possible marketability of this idea. Mm-hmm. That's a business move, and I understand it. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean that I'm always going to play by those rules. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if I have anything to do with my own career, then it's going to be by my own rules mm-hmm. until some other rules or subset can can uh, black mine. Mm-hmm. So the song starts with that, you know, phrase. Um, Maybe we'll find our light in the warmth of other sun. The warmth of other sun. The warmth of other sun. Blues chord. Because I'm always trying to find a way to put them blues chords in, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of my music is just, you know, it's just like that, major and minor chords. Now, when I write it, it's not as cool sounding to me as that because I'm not the the guitarist like that. I can just sound out stuff. And then I can also reach out to some people that I know that play fantastically. Right. Well, and that's... one of them happened to be in town, and his name is Marcus Machado. Mm-hmm. And he's from 
New York City from Brooklyn, Marcus Machado. He's just dropped a new project with him and Pharaoh Mach and Daru Jones on on drums. And that's just, it's, it's the business. You should check that out. But Marcus, I meet him because somebody just mentions his name to me like, hey, have you ever seen this guitar player? And I'm like, no. On Instagram, I find him. And I come to find out that he 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 beat like 4,000, 5,000 guitars in a Rolling Stone competition, mm-hmm. right? And he's just blazing everybody. Mm-hmm. And he's a very humble-spirited dude. So when I reach out to him, incidentally, or coincidentally, he or not, he has family members in the Bay Area and was going to be in the Bay like within the two-week period of me just reaching out to somebody that I don't know. Mm-hmm. And he came to a show of mine. We connected. We worked on some music. And then since then, we've been able to be in each other's court whenever the need arises. So I hit him up and I was like, yo, I got this song. I'd love for you to listen to it and put your hands on it. And so he heard it and he put some touches on it. Nice. Um, so I then removed my playing uh-huh. because, you know, my ego is not involved uh-huh. to where it's like, oh, but I have to, I can play it and sing it fine. Uh-huh. But if someone else can do it better, that's that's going to serve it's in the, service, a greater in service of the song. Indeed. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's how it got started. I just mm-hmm. was talking to Jeff. I heard the I heard the melody, and then I went and sounded it out. Mm-hmm. And once I sound it out, I'm going to go to whatever DAW I happen to be working on in that day, whether it's Ableton, Pro Tools, or Logic. Mm-hmm. Then I'll open it up, or I'll be. I'm, I'm mostly in Pro Tools because I, I started with the you know the the LE Edition Pro Tools and. I learned a lot of editing and became good at comping and whatnot because of Pascal and his tutelage. Mm-hmm. So I have to challenge myself to do the things as fast as I can on Pro Tools with Logic or with Ableton. Mm-hmm. And this would have been that. Like, oh, you know what? Pro Tools doesn't have the the loops just at the ready like Logic does, the way I can just go here and audition, grab it, throw it in. So let me go find a little beat idea or let me go look for some sounds. And in Logic, I always find these fantastic sounding sounds that are already, you know, Saucy with reverbs and delays. Nice Apple loops. Beautiful uh-huh. things. Uh-huh. Yeah. Throw them in position. Uh-huh. And then I start to write the composition. Like, okay, what else do I need to add? I know how the verse goes. I know how the chorus goes. Am I going to put a bridge? Um, what kind of music? So the music that turned me on was more electronic and aggressive. And there was this thing. And it was like an 8-bit gritty sound. My wife hated it. <laughs> Jeff hated it. And I'm like, how y'all hating on the 8-bit? It's like Mario Brothers. So whatever it was, they hated it. Yeah. Uh-huh. And good for them because I don't mind taking other people's opinions uh-huh. and weaving that in to this thing. Because at some point, I could just say, this is how it is, and I don't care what you say. Uh-huh. Or I could consider what you're suggesting or what, what you are uh, opposed to or what you think is obtuse. Mm-hmm. When it doesn't have to be. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, if that's going to be a hurdle that'll prevent you from getting into this song, then let me see what happens when I reduce it, remove it, try and change the sound. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I tried sure. it with some different sounds and they were still just like, you just don't need it. You just don't need it. You just mm-hmm. don't need it. And you know, they kept saying that. Okay. So then, it, so this is four or five versions prior to getting to this one. Mm-hmm. And then one day Jeff is like, okay, we need to go, th- go through the song again. And I was like, what are you hearing? He's like, I, I think we need to take out everything. I'm like, what do you mean everything? He's like, I want to go through basically second by second and start removing stuff. Mm -hmm. And what he wanted to remove was the amount of odd or unusual sounds that distracted him from the message of what I was saying. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to go through this process to Mm -hmm. hear what he heard. Mm -hmm. And he was like, that part you got on the end, right where the chorus does that thing, let's put that as the intro. I'm like, okay. And what about the drums? All right. So we're going through all these different changes Mm -hmm. because I'll, 
if your way sounds better than mine, I can live with it. If not, your way is about to get trashed, mm-hmm. and my way is about to be. A, well, you know, you know that's the, the beauty junk. of save ads. That's right, right. We have different versioning, and we can, you know, listen and apply as needed, that's as right. uh, as appropriate. Uh huh. Well, this this is clearly. I mean, that's the production process. Isn't it, it is. Uh-huh. I'm, a, you know, I'm a fan of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you you just have to try things. You know, it's mm-hmm. the easiest thing I can say because I never was really not. I was never really interested in working with anybody. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a like, oh, I can't wait to work with this person or that person. Mm-hmm. I always just was like, I need to get in here and get to work. Mm-hmm. Because if I do that, then my work will, my gifts will create an opportunity for me. And it would be sufficient if I do my work. Mm-hmm. And if mm-hmm. someone else has an idea that's better or wants to remix it or do what have you, then they could do that then. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to someone saying, hey, could you help me? Mm-hmm. And it's not because I don't really need help or can't stand help. I just was not built that way. I was built to just get it done and then, you know, see what happens. And there's a producer that I'm potentially working with in uh, in Brooklyn now who has the same desire. He's heard a few things and he's like, you know, I got some ideas. I'm like, yeah, well, everybody got ideas. Right, right. And if you can prove that your idea is better than mine, mm-hmm. then I will consider it. But I can't hire you because I'm not really asking you to do this. This is something that you think. You know, he's compelled to get involved. So I'm like, all right, well, let's see what happens. Well, you know, I mean, you you talk to a lot of producers these days, especially ones that, um, and, you know, I I certainly read plenty of articles in Mix Magazine and whatnot, where plenty of these guys will say, um, you know, it takes a village. True. It takes a village to produce a great sounding record. I agree. And I think that's part of having that trusted circle mm-hmm. and then opening yourself up to possibility mm-hmm. and inviting in talent that matches or exceeds your own right. to take it to the next level. Right. And I see that happening with this project, mm-hmm. right? I think that's kind of where you opened yourself to that possibility. The possibility is always there. Uh huh. Yeah. There'll be times where I have done something that has completed my personal ask mm-hmm. of me. Mm-hmm. I figured out how to make this live song, like a song called Dirty Motherfuckers. It started off as just a loop. I played the bass and guitar, and I wrote the song uh, with a partner of mine. And bringing him in was even a stretch because I'm going to be doing this stuff because I just feel like I need to do it. It's not everybody's mission to to make a song that's really dogging the police for dogging us. Sure. A lot of people don't want to get into those kinds of phrase, so I don't really try and drag people into it. Mm-hmm. Now, the band happened to be in town, and I played it for him, and I was like, if y'all want to record this live, as mm-hmm. good as y'all play together, I'm sure it's going to be juicier than what I made. Mm-hmm. And they did just that, and they killed it. And then I went on and recorded my parts, and then I edited and mixed, and I produced the song that I wanted to make. Right. Now, if someone says, hey, that song is good, but I would like to do X, Y, and Z to it, that's going to be on them, and I might forward them the files, because it's a different era now in music. It is. To where... They may come up with a whole nother mix and a whole nother approach that does whatever they want to do with it. But I'm still able to communicate my ideas completely by myself at times. Yeah. If I feel like, just like with this one. Well, with this one here, would you say that's that's kind of where you've arrived? Like this version that you've got here. Why don't you hit play for us on this? Let's, let's just hear what you got. Because okay. I know you talked about potentially releasing two different versions, right? Mm-hmm. Of this track. Well, yeah. So let's hear. Let's just hear this version because I know the other version is out in the world right now. Yep. The video's out. It beat it's beautiful. Me to my own punch. <laughs> so uh, did you hit Some... play on this guy? Let's no, you ready? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Hit. Let's hear this. 
Was that the outro sound that you bring bring to the intro now? Here, yeah, mm-hmm. uh huh, yeah. In this little alien esque uh-huh. kind of environment, right? I can feel it swirling. Smooth the guitar, yeah, sweet. Now those that string line there, Mina Choi. Right, was that her influence, or did you have that there before? That was my suggestion. That was your suggestion. She had a different suggestion for that part, but then she took over with her suggestion here. That little piece you were asking about is like my interpretation of something that was on a Donny Hathaway song that comes from, I want to say, Come Back Charleston Blue. Okay. That's the name of the, of the movie. Uh-huh. And there's a song called Little Ghetto Boy. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dr. Dre sampled Little Ghetto Boy in his uh, famous album, The Chronic. But there's a very significant s- string pattern. Mm-hmm. And that's I'm here. There it is, right there. So I've stretched that out mm-hmm. and placed, you know, a few notes in different spots to make it mm-hmm. serve what I needed to serve. But that's where I would have been inspired to to make that pattern. Mm-hmm. Yeah, back that piece of music right there. Uh huh. Now, when you took this to the studio, did you play this arrangement for them? Just like this? Was this the, the studio kind of influence that... For the live recording of yeah, it? Yeah, for the live recording of it. No. Yeah. All I did was hire Mina to arrange for this song. Mm-hmm. All of this stuff that happened in the studio was on her. Mm-hmm. She's the producer, the co-producer, mm-hmm. and a coordinator. Mm-hmm. But what, what she needed to produce it for uh-huh. was her church services. I see. And they make their services available on the internet. I see. Uh-huh. So now I have to kind of speed up on a lot of things that administratively I thought I might have had a couple of weeks to get to. Uh-huh. So by her doing this, uh-huh. it made me jump to light speed with registering songs with the MLC, okay. the uh-huh. MLC.com. Uh-huh. Their job, as was dictated by the the um, legislation that came out in 2018, for those who are not aware, if you know, as far as I understand, your music can be played all over the internet, especially from dom- domestic companies. Uh-huh. And if you don't have those songs registered with the MLC, then right. there's no way for you to get paid yeah. that mechanical licensing royalty. Mm-hmm. They will shake the, the 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 black boxes of unknown mm-hmm. authors and and royalty distribution situations and make sure that you get your share. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if you don't copyright your material. And if you don't register your material, mm-hmm. then there's no way for you to get any of it. Yeah. And that means that the services can use your songs and you never get paid. Yeah. So if you don't want to play that game that way, then it would behoove someone 
to get their stuff registered. Much like Sound Exchange for like, non-interactive that's playback. Right. So yeah. you know the you know the code non-interactive playback. That's yeah. like Pandora and stuff like that. Right, radio, internet radio. There so, you go. Yeah. These rules and these laws that mm-hmm. are you know are changing and always being updated. They're a part of the business that was often looked at as very unsexy to my generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and the younger younger generation doesn't seem to be as put off by it. They seem to be able to adopt much yeah. faster. Right. You would know better than I, but I think that they are, um, you know, a lot of people are, are taking care of their business. Yeah, they have to. Yeah. Because without taking care of your business, you're, you don't have a business at this point. Period. And the industry has changed dramatically mm. as as we began our entire conversation with uh martin luther this has been amazing uh this conversation has been edifying and um also uh, just kind of raised a, a whole new level of respect for what you do your career and oh, and thanks. the message that you put out to the world um so i've really it. appreciated this and yeah. and thanks for joining me here today we're going to be uh ending this entire uh, conversation here with uh warmth of other sons as produced by mina Choi and martin luther mccoy All right. Thanks so much. Take care. You got it. We are aware of your fear. Remember, if you have a guest suggestion or want to contact me for any reason, we have a contact form on the Mentor My Mix website. That's mentormymix.com. Or feel free to email me at greg at mentormymix.com. Special thanks to Quinn Grodzins for the theme music and audio editing, Josh Valdez and Sean McKenna for audio and video production, and Corey Schubert for video editing and post-production. Crack laws versus cocaine. You don't consider all the horror that we've been through till we force a new horizon to come in view. Funny how you fashion yourself the hero. Deconstruction of the Negro. Thanks. <laughs>